I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Almost Famous, the podcast where I explore the subject of fame by talking to people who've experienced it themselves and ask them how it has affected their own journey as well as the lives of those around them. My guest today is actor and comedian Mike Fenton-Stevens. It's arguable as to whether there's much on TV from the past few decades that Mike hasn't appeared on, but here are some of the highlights of things he has. You may have seen Mike in Nighty Night, My Family, Benador, Mr. Bean, One Foot in the Grave, Coronation Street, Outnumbered, Not Going Out, The Crown, Josh, Two Pints of Lager and a Packet of Crisps, My Hero, Doctors, Casualty, Footballers' Wives, EastEnders, Holby City, Alas, Smith & Jones, and many, many more. So it's a great honour to give a huge, almost famous welcome to Mike Fenton-Stevens. Hi, Mike. Hey, Barney. How are you doing? Really good. That's good, because uh, I'm disappointed you didn't mention me uh, being in the background of a sketch on Not Nine Got News, knitting. <laughs> I think that was that's probably maybe the highlight of my career. I was still a student at the time, but uh, uh, John Lloyd gave me the opportunity to find out what it was like to be in a television studio. So I went down and did sketches for Not the Nine O'Clock News. And in one of them, on an aeroplane, if you ever look back on it, there's a sketch on an aeroplane and I'm sitting just behind Griff. Yeah, just behind Griff Rees-Jones. And I'm, and I'm knitting. Can you fucking believe it? It's ridiculous, isn't it? The, the, the nerve of youth. How dare I go on this massive television show and upstage people like that? <laughs> and is that is that how you got the bug, Mike? Uh, well, no, I, no, I got the bug before then. I mean, I, I've always had the bug, I think, but I didn't really, I had no idea how to do it. Mm. And my father always wanted to be a, a comedian, always wanted to be a performer. He tried just after the war. He went and he even auditioned for, eventually, for, for the Windmill Club and all sorts of things, but he didn't quite make it. Uh, but he, he, you know, he hankered after it his whole life. And so he actually did a lot of um, sort of organising of uh, old-time musicals and, and entertainment for old people in homes and things like that. And he used to drag me along because I was the one that was interested. Out of my uh, two brothers and myself, I was the one who showed an interest in it. So he dragged me along and I would sing in a sweet little soprano voice and all the old people loved me. And, of course, who's not going to fall in love with that? Who's not going to fall in love with being loved by old people? No. So that's what I did, you know. I just... You know, and I carried on. And strangely enough, it's, it wasn't until I got to, uh, you know, I sort of went to university with the idea that maybe it would open up doors for me. I, I went there, you know, telling everybody I was going to study law because that was the, I was the path I had set out for me. And uh, behind it all, I had a little inkling in the back of my mind that, that actually if I went, I might be able to get into some drama societies. I might be able to join some groups and it might lead me into doing it. Because I couldn't imagine that I could go to drama school. 
I just didn't feel that I had the and I thought, no, well, they're, they're all the, the children of famous people go to drama school or people from posh houses. And I didn't feel like that. And I, I thought, I can't do it. So I went to Oxford Polytechnic, actually, as it is now called Brooks um, College. Brooks, yeah. And, uh, and had a brilliant time. But very quickly went down to Oxford University and auditioned for plays with the idea that I would pretend that I was at the university. Uh, in fact, uh, they did ask me to be president of ALDS, the Oxford University Drama Society. Why didn't you stand for president of ALDS, Mike? And eventually I had to say to them, well, because I, I don't go to the university. And, uh, and they said, oh, I'm sure we can get round that. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? You go with a working class view that, in fact, when you turn up at these places, everybody there is going to, to think you're a complete oik and, and nothing to do with you. And just the moment they find out that you're from those other people, you know, that you're working class or you're not from a good school, they're going to reject you. And in fact, they didn't at all. They were completely welcome. They didn't give a damn. It's very interesting what you say about that moment where you had to admit that you didn't go to university, because if that had been, you know, the narrative of the film about your life, then absolutely that would have been like end of act two, things can't get any worse. Uh, you've been, you've been, you know, you've had your dreams taken away from you. But the reality in life, like you said, is that uh, they couldn't have been any kinder about it and would have happily had you in somehow. No, I think generally in life, people uh, don't care. If people can do something or they're good at it, they don't care what their past is or, you know, their, their upbringing. But I did once go to a party at, at, uh, at Queen's College. Uh, yeah, and at Queen's and uh, I think it's called Queen's posh one anyway yeah, queen's college maybe oxford. maybe corpus christi or something like that i don't remember the names of the colleges because i wasn't at oxford university uh, I, I didn't you know i went to this thing and i told a man he said oh which school did you go to mike and i said i went to a school called ramsden but you won't know it's a secondary modern school and he went oh my god but he stopped the party to tell everyone listen everyone <laughs> look mike i went to a secondary modern school how extraordinary and and as a result, lots of really quite gorgeous girls came up and started talking to me. So I, I after that, I played the role of, um, you know, the the sort of working class. Yeah, yeah, you know, I went to working class when I was, just, you know, South London. And uh, yeah, they, you were a bit they, of rough all of a oh, sudden. Oh, I was a bit of rough. They thought it was fantastic, you know. But there we are. I've been, I've never been me. That's all. I think I, it probably is the case. I've never actually been me. I've always been pretending to be someone else. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure amongst your family, there's a version of you that you are. <laughs> oh yeah, loathsome man, absolutely <laughs> disgusting creature. <laughs> they are hateful. I want to tell our audience as well about your amazing uh, and successful podcast, My Time Capsule. So for anyone who hasn't heard it, Mike, here's your chance. Tell them what it's about and where they can listen to it. Well, it's basically uh, sort of like. Um, uh, it's like a snuff movie uh, <laughs> right, on on a podcast. No, it's not. It's nothing like that. It's basically uh, me and a bunch of uh, mates, uh, to a large extent. Although I am branching out into people I've never met. Uh, and we, what we do is, I, I, my son had this idea about three years ago and kept saying to me, "Make a podcast. It's the coming thing. Everybody's going to be doing it." And at the time, the only person doing it was Richard Herring, and uh, and we all thought he was mad. And then we all suddenly realized, oh, my God, podcasts are enormous. We should do them. And he said, come up with an idea. So I came up with an idea, which is basically, uh, I suppose, a bit like Desert Island Discs and Room 101 combined. It's, <laughs> so it's, um, it's called My Time Capsule. And basically, I say to people, what are the five things from your life 
that you would like to put into a time capsule. You're allowed four things that you cherish and that when you think about them, they make you happy. And one thing that when you look back on it, you rather regret it or it embarrasses you or in fact, you hated it. And then we talk about them and we see where it goes. And so far, it's been really good fun. You know, I've spoken to all sorts of people and uh, it seems to be going very well. And it, it, I'm amazed that something so simple can end up with such complicated conversations and, and also that people are so uh, open about themselves. Maybe it's like this. Maybe just when people are chatting, you sort of forget that, in, being, in fact, it's going to go out, that people are going to listen to it. Or, you know, or in the case of this, two people are going to listen to it. <laughs> I think it's more that people uh, appreciate the opportunity to speak in long form, isn't it? Rather than in sound bites. Um, that you get in a, you know, that you get in a smaller interview scenario. Yes, always. If you're doing a, a radio interview, you or anything about something, it's always about something. It's always either promoting something. So tell us about the program you've just been in, and and in fact, you find that what you do is you you do them over and over again, and you you try not to say the same thing, but actually you just hone the anecdotes, and and then you splurge them out, and everybody says, oh, that's brilliant. But if anybody's heard it before, you're doing exactly the same stuff. You're putting it out again. And in fact, constantly, you've got, you might launch into something that, you know, is a bit left field. And they will cut you off immediately and go, anyway, yeah, so um, let's get back to the, they don't want to know about it. They're not interested. They haven't got the time. Whereas in this, we can go anywhere. And in a pod, in most podcasts, you can go anywhere and you can talk about anything. And in fact, it, it sort of is relevant because in a way, it's revealing something about the person who's saying it, I think. The question that I ask everybody on this show is, Mike Fenton-Stevens, are you famous? Am I famous? Well, that's a point of view, isn't it, really, I think. I don't regard myself as being famous because uh, I don't go to film premieres. I never get invited to those sort of things. I don't go to the launch of things. Those sort of things that famous people do, I never do. I never. Do. I mean, maybe because when I was first asked to do them years ago, I went, oh, no, no, I'm sorry, I've got a bath for kids. I was always more interested in getting home and, and you know, in time to read my children a story, actually. I was more interested in my children than I was in my career, uh, which, you know, I, I don't think was a mistake because I'm, I'm still not that bothered about my career. It's always sort of, sort of taken care of itself, I think. You know, I don't put any effort into it. Which, so if there's any young actors out there, this is an example of not of what not to do with your career. I've just gone, yeah, a number of times people said, hey, let's go for a drink. I've got a great idea. We could write it together. And I go, yeah, no, I can't. I've got to get the train. Uh, I've got to go back to Tunbridge Wells because um, I'll miss my dinner. You know? So I'm really uninterested in all those things. I'm interested in, in uh, networking, uh, socializing at parties. I like socializing at parties, but I would never talk to anybody uh, you know, I would never know who anybody was. I'm very bad at remembering casting directors' names, even though I've seen them before. Right. I, 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 you know, I've, I've had people come up to me and say hi, and I think to myself, I don't know them, and it turned out to be really important directors. I, I went to um, what was supposed to be a piece of publicity for myself in Edinburgh last year at the Edinburgh Festival. I went along to uh, to a party that was being thrown by the National Theatre. And, you know, sat there and we had a lovely breakfast and I chatted to a few people, but I didn't ask anybody what they did or whether they were, whether they were, they were any use to me at all. I just had a nice breakfast, had a nice chat. 
And as we were coming away, I was walking down the stairs, and this fellow said to me, did you have a nice time? I said, yeah, great time, lovely. I said, it was really good, really nice of them to do that, wasn't it? It was great fun. Uh, do, do you, um, are you doing a show here, or do you work at the National Theatre? And he said, you know, I work at the National Theatre. I said, oh, right, what do you do? He said, I'm the director of the National Theatre. <laughs> I went, right, okay, oh, you run, oh, right. Yeah, the very man that I should be looking to talk to, and I've just made myself look like an idiot in front of him. And, and amazingly, they haven't, he hasn't come back and offered me a job. That's shocking. I can't believe it. No, I'm shocked for you, mate. I can't believe it after all that hard work. I know, all that effort and all that research. But there's something so you see you know that's a, that's the sort of man I, I am i'm afraid but there's something admirable about that to me because i i'm do you know what i actually um i hate networking and i i yeah. i not only hate it on my own behalf but i hate watching people network and be sycophantic and 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 it's true i think it is true that it it really fucking helps and i wish it didn't and i wish the idea that i tell myself or the justification i give which is that i can sleep at night mattered to more people but um yeah i guess it's about trying to find a middle ground where you know you feel like you're not going against anything you believe in but also at the same time putting your face and name out there enough to make sure you're on people's yeah, lips I when it matters so. i mean you would think that would happen naturally wouldn't it if you work and you meet people and people would say he's a good actor mm. they would you know they would want to work with you again but actually it's strange how it is the people who put that work in and and as you say, are sycophantic towards people who seem to get on, you know, and they really put the work in, you know. I mean, I can think of, you know, I can think of sort of the end of a long day of filming and people then getting in a car and driving to London to go to a film premiere and then getting back to the film set yeah. at, at sort of, you know, one o'clock in the morning, maybe two, and then being up the next morning to film. Whereas I'd filmed all day and just wanted to have a, a beer and then look at my lines for the next day and go to bed. And, yeah. and if I'd had the opportunity to go to a film premiere that night, there's no way. I just would never have done it. So maybe that's that's why. But there's another area that I always find amazing when it comes to fame and success is that strangely, um, and this is going to sound uh, it's going to sound a bit like sour grapes, I think actually, but quite often the people who really succeed are absolute shits. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They really are. Yeah. And not only are they shits, um, they're shits to everybody. People, in a way, regard that that being nasty to people as, oh, he's very difficult, he's very temperamental, as if that's because he's some sort of weird genius. You know, yeah. I know a lot of actors who you think, God, your behaviour is appalling. Not a lot, actually, a few. But they mm. tend to be the people who then get noticed. I think there's some interesting things come from that. One is that I dare say, and just playing devil's advocate, that if I were talking to one of these people that you're talking about, then they'd they'd say, well, that's because it's dog eat dog and I feel like I'm better than the rest of them and I should be being the loudest and being and taking most of the acclaim because I'm the best actor. So there's kind of, you know, there's an element of there's an element of narcissism to that, dare I say even potentially you know, sociopathy or psychopathy, but um, but they don't, but you know, they don't care because they're so ambitious and lacking empathy that it doesn't matter that the other actors are slagging them off in the bar afterwards. You see what I mean? Yeah, I, I do. I absolutely, I, and I can see that. In, in fact, they would probably not see anything wrong in what they're doing. They may well, if you ever said it to them, they say, "Well, fight me, fight me then." 
come on, if you're, you know, be as good an actor as me and make the audience look at you. And you go, yeah, I could do. I could make the audience look at me, but, but I'm only going to do it when it's my turn. Do you know what I mean? I'm not going to do it while you're talking. The, the thing that I always use that's similar to what you're talking about in terms of actors is there are a few people mm. who are, actually I think we both know as well, but who are multimillionaires. And I always say about the multimillionaires is they're never afraid to kind of step on someone else to get that far, that little bit further ahead. That's stuff I've really noticed about profession, yeah. particularly professionally is what I'm talking about. I mean, personally, sure. But, um, yes, yes. and it's like, they don't have the self-awareness, I don't think to, uh, or certainly not anymore, the people that I'm talking about anyway, to even realize they're doing mm. it because they're so used to doing it. No to get ahead and they're so lacking in empathy and self-awareness yeah. that they don't even know they're doing it so no mike i don't think you are one of those people because you you can see okay, it 360 well, that's, that's why i'm not a multimillionaire you know but we, we have, we've had we've come across these people time and time again and in fact we have a great uh, sort of mutual group of friends i think uh, probably who you know over the years have all absolutely stabbed each other in the back to almost to the point where you think to yourself, well, would you ever forgive somebody for that? It was just, oh, my God, you've just absolutely destroyed my career and I had to change course and do something else. And uh, and yet they all go to the same parties and they're all going holiday together and they're all really good friends. I mean, I, we can't name anybody, but we all know these people, you know, and, and it's really weird, you know, uh, how I've always, right from the start, thought, oh, my God, do you think it's public school? Oh. Do you think it is? Come on, let's let's name it. Do you think it's public school? No, I d do you know what I think it is? And and I think you really kind of alluded to it a bit there when you mentioned like holidays and going to the same parties together is the mo it's way scarier to them to not be famous and be seen hanging out with famous people or successful and be hanging out with successful people than it is to yeah. you know it's it's way more scary to them to think about that than it is the thought of forgiving someone for doing something appalling. Yeah, and in fact, I think that they're willing to uh, brush over the appalling things because these people remain uh, people that can help them, people that can advance them, as it were. Yeah. So you 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 don't say to someone, "Okay, that was absolutely appalling. Don't ever talk to me again." You don't say that. You just you you bite the bullet, as it no. were, and you think, "I'll get my own back in in you know one way or another." I don't know. I don't know what goes on in their minds. I don't know how these people think. It's always amazed me. I, I, it's interesting you should mention it because, um, you know, I thought that maybe I was the one that was daft because I take, I take those sort of slights, which have happened. I, I do take them personally, and, I, and yeah. I don't forget them. You know, maybe it's me. Maybe I, I can't let things go. But I do hold on to things and think, okay, you know, I'll be pleasant to you. But you're never going to be my friend. You're never going to be a close friend of mine. Yeah. Because because not necessarily they've done it to me, but I've seen them do it to other people. And I think I, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Um. So my, I don't know if you know from the, the genesis of this podcast was basically in the first series. I interviewed people who had grown up around fame because it was a an issue that I felt I needed to get to the bottom of those feelings I had having kind of seen it firsthand growing up myself and stuff like that. So even though now I've gone on to interviewing people about their experiences of fame or being in the public eye, or uh, I don't know, you, I think you don't think you're famous, but at least you've kind of touched upon it at times. Depends how you see it. I always like to ask um, how you think having been 
on television or uh, spotted in the street or things like that has affected your family? You know my family, and uh, and actually, you know, they're sort of split down the middle, really. But my daughter is more like me, and my son is more like my wife. And my wife and my son absolutely loathe those things. They loathe, you know, oh, my God, you've been spotted, they'll say. And I say, what? Because I don't notice it. I don't even look at it. And they say, uh, people over there, look, they keep looking over and yeah. looking at you. And I go, uh, where? And, and I'll turn around and wave at them and say, hi. And they go, Hello. Are you with the bloke in... I am, yeah, that's me. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to <laughs> take a photograph or something? Yeah. I don't mind. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'll come in and I'll go and sit at their table and start talking to them. And, and my daughter thinks it's funny. My son thinks I'm embarrassing and my wife thinks I'm a bit mad. You don't know them. Well, I do now. I've just had a chat with them. They're really nice. Why? Well, why were they interested in you? I, strangely enough, it was a program, you know, and I love it when that, that happens. And the program that they are thinking of, or the the thing that they that they're interested in me for, is something that I've almost forgotten I'd done. You know, somebody they'll say, 
you you were um, so-and-so's boyfriend in As Time Goes By, weren't you? And I go, oh, yeah, 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 I was, yeah. I, I forgot about that. <laughs> and and uh, so you never know what it is. And then sometimes, of course, you get completely caught out. I always think this with fame. You know, when the moment you start thinking you're famous and you that people know who you are, you're going to slip on a banana skin. It happened to me yes. once. I was There was a period when, you know, my children were probably, you know, just starting, just about to end a junior school. And I was absolutely all over the telly, not only in several large programs on the television, uh, which were fairly high profile. And, uh, you know, so I was seen in those all the time. I was in loads of adverts. I just had a period of about 10 years where I, I did an advert a month. And then then suddenly all gone yeah. at the same time. So you'd be in every ad break. You'd be in you know two adverts, and then you'd be in the program after it. So it was a bit mad. So I was very highly recognisable, uh, and I think also I was in EastEnders. Now that's going to do it every time, isn't it? That so, will uh, help. Yeah. We went to, we went to Thorpe Park, and we were standing in a queue, and as we were going up and down this queue, you know, you you walk past the same people several times in the queue in front of you. And uh, in one of those cattle grid queues, <laughs> these this group of teenage yeah. girls kept nudging each other, and and I, I noticed they were nudging other and pointing over in our direction, and then I heard one of them say, "It is, it is. Go and ask him, ask him." And I thought, "Oh God!" Uh, <laughs> and then they they leant towards me, and then they pushed me aside and said to the man behind me, "Are you Chris Rea?" <laughs> and it was Chris Rea. What? It was Chris Rea. <laughs> That's excellent. And you Rhea hadn't even noticed Chris Rhea was there. I hadn't noticed him. No, That's I was hilarious. thinking, oh, God, I've been spotted. I'm so famous. Oh, so famous. You know, so, you know, there's a prime example of uh, of just how silly the whole thing is. You know, and, and you know, so there are slight downsides to it. Occasionally people get angry with me. I quite often get mistaken for uh, Jon Snow, the newsreader. Oh, okay. Because he's got grey hair and I've got grey hair. Yeah. I, I've, I've, got a, I've got a photo on my phone now of me with him to yeah. prove that I'm not him. I once had a taxi driver tell me to get out of the taxi. Uh, you know, he said to me, you all right? I went, yeah, yeah, fine. He said, still doing the telly thing? I went, yeah, yeah, every now and again. Not at the moment. I'm really here, you know. It's yeah. not me on the telly at the moment. And he went, yeah. So uh, how long have you been reading the news now then? And I went, <laughs> well, I, I, I don't read the news. And he went, yeah, yeah. You, you read the news? I said, no, I've, no, you're mistaking me for someone else. I don't read the news. And he went, oh, yeah, typical, isn't it? I mean, you want to be famous, but the moment we start talking to you, you go all, you know, clam up and everything. <laughs> go on, go on, that's it. I don't need the, the lights of you. Go on, get out. Uh, me out of the oh, my God. That's brilliant. That is brilliant. That's hilarious. I've, I've so, done some work know, with Jon Snow before, and he's actually a really lovely man like you as well. So it's you know it's a good person man. to be compared to. Um, so uh, I mentioned, uh, I think, in emails before you came on, that a big part of this series of Almost Famous is that I'm interested in hearing uh, from my guests kind of about negative stuff that they've uh, had in the press or social media or kind of reviews of work they've done but you Mike have suggested that you're kind of quite fortunate never to have really had to suffer much criticism how have you managed that well I think because I'm invisible I don't think they notice me you know I mean it's funny I've played the lead roles in plays and then the review comes out and it goes down to and uh, the understudy for the dog was you know, chef, you know, uh, gave a great performance it, had he been allowed on. Uh, and, 
you know, and then you look through it and you think, they haven't, they haven't even put my name in it. I, I don't know. I don't know. I think, or maybe I don't look for it, you know. I mean, I don't, again, I yeah. don't really read them very often, but uh, I do remember one. I did have one a long time ago, which said, uh, what, what Michael Fenton Stevens lacks in ability, he makes up for in gall. <laughs> and, right. uh, and I was, obviously he meant this as an insult, but, uh, but I, I thought, oh, that's good. Oh, I quite like that. And yeah. Whatever, I've got, I've got the skill. And I, don't, got the yeah, I don't think Gaul's that negative a word. No. Yeah, Gaul's not that negative. It's, uh, you know, but actually, balls. It means balls, I think, to me. I've got balls, yeah. I've got the nerve to do things. At least yeah. I'll try. That's the important thing. Yeah. But, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I really have had some, uh, some very unpleasant experiences with the press over the years where you, you're aware that, that they've sort of turned, turned something. Doing this podcast, I've had a number of people get in touch and say, uh, we understand you've done an interview with so-and-so and, and got any stories about them. What do they say about things? And I say, no, no, this is, this is me having a, a conversation with someone where they trust me to have this conversation and then put it out as a podcast. I'm not going to give you a sound bite that you can then use as a story. You know? Wow. Uh, that's, really, that's really surprising because... Clearly, well, two reasons, because we've had some, I've not had any contact from the press directly, but we've had the press pick up some of our interviews and run stories on them. Um, yeah. So A, I'm surprised that they even ask you directly if you can help, but B, it's like for them to call you up and or, or email you and say, can you give us any more information? It's like, just listen to the podcast, mate. That's what exactly. it's about. If they want you to know anything, it's in there. Yes, quite. You know, And they've agreed for it to go out. You know, but I'm not going to in advance going to say, well, actually, they say this. So that could be interpreted as the meaning something else. You know, you have to listen to the whole thing to know what people really mean. And actually, you know, the reality is that quite often people say things and then the next day they say something else. So nobody ever completely gives their opinion on things. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there are things we've said in this where, you know, I might get phone calls from the head of ITV next week saying you'll never work again. You know, and, I, and I'll be able to say to them, "You're right about that, mate." <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what you remember saying, Mike, but I don't remember it being that newsworthy. But uh, let's let's try and do that if we can. Well, I'm not saying the head of ITV is a cunt. Uh, I've just remembered. Yeah, you've definitely said that, and I've just cut it out into a social media clip. <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh, okay. Yeah, you were too busy pushing it out there. Okay. Um, one thing you did say though is that um, although you've been fortunate enough not to be. Uh, given too much negative time by the press is you said you've 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 had quite a lot of uh, difficulties with um, kind of auditions advertising auditions oh, and yeah, stuff no. like that stuff that doesn't make you feel very comfortable about that I wonder if it's worth for our audience giving an idea of what that's like and and even as a you know as someone who's been acting you know successfully for so long still that negative feeling of of how like a, i think you said feeling like a piece of meat yeah i mean it really is like that and it never changes and i don't think that particularly changes for even really famous people you still have that thing of being expected to go in and prove that you well prove that you can act which is really weird if you've got a whole career behind you so they walk in the room and they say well we know you've done lots before but can you do this you know can you pretend to be a man who's buying flowers uh, you go, yeah. You know, I mean, if you really want me to show you being a man, I, you know, do you, do you want to give me the job or not? Why do I have to go through the process of miming buying flowers in order to persuade you that I can do it? It's really weird. And people have been, 
uh, some of the most fulfilling moments in my career have been when I've actually had enough of it. Uh, I did once, uh, having been sat outside an audition for an advert for about uh, about an hour and a half, past the time that they said I would go in for the interview. Now that often happens. It often happens that you you have to hang around because you're sort yeah. of at their beck and call, really. But an hour and a half, I thought that was really pushing it. Uh, and so I went in, and the man was didn't even look up. He just said, "Yeah, stand on that mark and uh, say your name and uh, and what you've been doing recently." So I thought, right. So I said, "Well, my name is Mike Fenton Stevens, and uh, and recently uh, I've been waiting to come in here." <laughs> and he said. And then he did look up at me and he said, yeah, no, um, well, before that. And I said, so long ago, I can't remember. <laughs> uh, and he said, do you want to be in this advert? And I said, not if you're directing it, no. And I walked out. <laughs> uh, and it, it was a joyous thing to do. I loved it. You know? Yeah. So that was 30 grand down the pan. Yeah, but do you know what? Do you know what's interesting about that, Mike? It, do you know what? It would not have surprised me at all if you ended that story with, and then I got the job. Do you know why? Because I, well, because it's such a common thing, I think, where people who get tested actually almost sometimes, or people who are, sorry, badly behaved like that or unprofessional like that, not you, I'm talking about him in terms of keeping people waiting, not giving a fuck. No, no, but we were talking about these people who are a shit. Yeah. You know, people can be a but, shit. And then everybody thinks, well, that means they're special. Yeah, but some people, sometimes what i found with these people is actually when you test them, they quite like it because they're so not used to being tested like that. So as an example, I used, my first job was at um, Children's BBC and I worked as a, I was a runner at, it was like a twice uh, daily magazine show that I was a runner on. And um, one day there was this big fanfare because one of the legends of Children's BBC, this guy called Chris Bellinger, was coming on to exec produce our show for you know going forward so he turns up and he's like uh you know i guess he's in his late 50s early 60s or whatever and everybody is just bowing down to this guy and i'm like wow you know yeah he's got some you know he's done going live and live and kicking and all this stuff and it, yeah whatever but what we used to do every afternoon at four o'clock is we'd all sit down to watch that day's show in like a sofa area in the office and i sat on the um just after he'd arrived i sat on the edge of this sofa and he just came up to me and beckoned with his hands for me to move up. And I, I mean, instinctively, I didn't think a great deal about this, Mike, I have to say, all my career at the time. But I, I said no. And I was like, I, I took it as really rude that he didn't say, would you mind moving up, please? Um, and he kind of responded by going, you, he said, actually, he said, you haven't, what did he say? He's like, you haven't proven yourself to me yet. Like that, right? But... I, what I will say is that after that, from then on, he was so nice to me the whole time. Like, it was almost like he appreciated the fact that I'd stood up to him. It's like, yes. well, I guess I'm saying. I mean, I think that can happen. But no, uh, but I, I think... But but not that time. Not 30 me. grand. No, not for me, sadly. I mean, and I did once also, really, I mean, and this is not a good good piece of advice either. Uh, I was asked to audition with my family for for an advert, for a BT advert. And, uh, and uh, having explain something about the nature of my wife and my son it was difficult to persuade them to go for an audition uh, but my agent said if you can all turn up as a family and i said right we'll, we'll have a day out we'll have a nice lunch we'll go somewhere really go to the science museum or something and then all we have to do is pop in and do this ad that's all we have to do it's easy but you know if we get it it'll be four feeds it'll be great it'll pay for loads of things and and kids you want to get 1500 quid don't you 
Yeah, they went and managed to say, oh, that's so unfair. Now the kid's thinking about getting 1,500 quid. I said, yeah, but we, you know, we'll get 10 grand each. It'll be 20 grand. It'll be great. Oh, God. And, you know, eventually I persuaded them. We turned up at this place, and it really was a cattle market. It was absolutely awful. You had to ask for a key to go to the toilet uh, at, at the reception desk. There were old people sitting on the stairwells because they didn't have enough place. They were way behind. Everybody was – it was really badly disorganized. And almost the moment I walked in, I started to seethe. Now, normally, I, you know, it takes me an hour and a half to seethe. But, uh, but this time I was straight in there because I thought, no, you can treat me like this. I'm used to that. I'm used to being treated that way. And and actually, you know, I, I can pass the time socializing with mates at an audition. That's fine. You know, but, uh, but here, no, I'm with my family. We're fitting this in. They're doing you a great favor because this is not their career. They're coming here. They're, these are real people. And and I, so I said to the casting director, when are we going to be seen? And she said, well, as you can see, there's quite a few people waiting. And I said, I know, but I was told three o'clock. It is now three o'clock. So I want to be seen. I'm with my family. I said, and I said, you could treat me like a, you know, like a piece of meat, but you don't treat my family that way. And you've asked for them to come along now. So you have to treat them with respect. And she said, she then made the big mistake of saying, I'm sorry, who are you? And I said, who am I? You fucking called me. You asked for me to come to this fucking audition. Who do you think I am? I'm the person that you should know who I am because you asked me to come. And and she went, well, I, I don't know who you are. I said, well, that shows what a shit fucking useless casting director you are, that you don't know who I am. And I said, right, we're leaving. And at that, at that moment, the man came out and said, right, they're next. And we were going to go in. And I said, no, no, we're going. We're not going to do it. And uh, and my family said, well, look, we, you've embarrassed us enough. I was going to say. I was going to say. imagine their faces. Well, I was going to say, John, who's, you know, who oh. you said is already embarrassed or you've admitted is embarrassed while you do that time must have been just like the biggest, oh, dad, uh, ever. In fact, all the other, like, everybody's looking and everything. I've really <laughs> put, you know, I mean, I've, I've let full rip with the voice and everything got really loud. <laughs> and then we went in and what we had to audition for was an advert where a family were watching a television program which had uh, sex in it and so they were right. all embarrassed to be in the same room at the same time and, <laughs> and so this man said okay you want to do you, you know we're going to go along and look at your faces and of course I just stared at the camera furious my wife sort of had her head in her hands the children <laughs> were fantastically embarrassed uh, ten minutes after we left the room, the, the, my agent rang to say they want you. <laughs> Excellent. I know. So it did you work. You nailed it, Mike. You nailed, nailed it. it. That's, That's so perfect. We well, there you go. That's that's a perfect example of it. Okay, Mike, Before this has been a brilliant interview. Thank you so much. Before we go, I always like to do a few quick-fire questions. So first answer that comes to your head, okay? Yeah. Um, now, I think this might already be the Chris Rea story, but if you tell me, if you can think of another one, what's the most embarrassing thing that's happened to you because you're famous slash in the public eye? <laughs> well, there have been quite a few, but I would say um, that actually it's that moment when you think that, that people are, uh, think you're famous and, in fact, they think that your children are at school with them, with their children. That's happened to me several times. Somebody said to me, hello, and I went, hi. And they went, remember me? And I went, no, no, we've never met. And they went, yes, we have. 
your children go to school with my children. And I'd say, Hi. what school do your children go to? And actually turned out their children didn't, didn't go to school with my children, but they'd assumed that they'd seen my face and recognized me and thought, well, that must be the answer. And having Hi. plumped for that answer, they were not going to change their mind. This person got uh, quite shirty with me. Really? Yeah. And that was on a, it was on a platform, and then people started looking, and I kept saying, all right, okay, fine, well, you're probably right. And she, well, of course they do. I mean, come on, it's, it's, it's Letitia and Susan. I mean, you've, you know them. Oh yeah, okay, God. all right, I do. The doubling oh, down on their beliefs. On fun. their beliefs. Yeah, just go along with it. Can't be wrong. That yep. is weird. I've not heard that one before. That's weird. Okay, and that what's the weird. worst thing about it? I mean, that sounds like it could be the worst thing about it as well, yeah. The worst thing about being famous? I, I don't know. I, see, I'm not one of those yeah, people well, who I think would, would, you know, a lot of people we know, strangely, and this is to take it sort of full circle, really, those people who spend their lives chasing fame and success so, somewhat hate it. Now they've got it. Mm. They hate it. They don't like people looking at them. They don't like people recognizing them. They hate being disturbed when they're having dinner. But as I've already told you, I'm not that man. I don't, I don't no. care. And I like people saying hello to me in the street. And my wife's always saying, who was that? And I say, I don't know. And she said, but you went, hi, as if you know them. I said, yeah, but they went hi to me. I don't care. Final, final question, Mike. I ask everyone this, knowing all that entails and with the benefit of hindsight, yeah. would you give up your time in the public eye if you had the chance? By which I mean you'd have the same family, the same finances, the same house, the same security, but you'd never get stopped in the street. And I think I know the answer because you love it. it. I do. I yeah. really like it. And actually, you know, it makes my life so much easier because people sort of recognize me. They sort of know that I've got, they think, oh, he's the bloke he has been on the telly. And very few people resent that. Very few people are angry about that. Most people just go, all right, mate. And I go, yeah, all right. And if I walk into a shop, they people go, oh, hello. And I go, hiya. And, you know, people are strangely very friendly towards me as a result of it. And that's a really pleasant thing in your life, that people people's first reaction to you is that they're pleased to see you. And so, you know, it's lovely. I don't. I would not change it at all. In fact, if anything, I would make me an extremely famous person. And I tell you, the things I would have done, I would be shameless. <laughs> I'd spend all day just popping into old people's homes, walking into hospitals, going to, uh, uh, just can't, uh, turning up at people's birthday parties. I would have had a whale of a time. <laughs> You'd see me all over social media. Oh, here he is again. Somebody's 75th birthday. Jeez. Uh, well, it's wasted. It's wasted that... They wasted, wasted <laughs> that fame on other people. It's wasted that you've not reached that level of fame <laughs> where you feel like you can do that. Mike, um, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can they go and find My Time Capsule? All the usual podcast publishers, etc.? It's all over the shop. Yeah, that's it. You just just uh, search My Time Capsule or, or search me and it should come up. Podcast. Uh, and uh, yeah, have a listen if you want. It's uh, it's it's good fun, you know. And, uh, and and I have to say, the great thing about it is that the reverse happens. I don't talk much, and the other people talk a lot. And I've demonstrated that that is a great amount of control going on. That you cannot believe how much self-control I'm showing. <laughs> God's sake. Um, 
trust me. I can absolutely recommend that podcast. Mike, thanks again so much for coming on. Um, Guys at home, please do press that subscribe button on Almost Famous. Rate the podcast. Leave us a comment too. Find us on Instagram at Almost Famous the Podcast and on Twitter at Pod Almost Famous. And once again, Mike, thanks so much for coming on and we'll uh, speak to you next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.